This is a production of WEDU-PBS, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota. Coming up right now in WEDU, Governor DeSantis is overshadowed at the first GOP debate. More conventions in Florida are being canceled. Two activists are behind most of the attempted book bannings in Florida. And does the state need fewer judicial circuits? All this and more next on Florida This Week. Welcome back. Joining us on the panel this week, Dan Ruth is on the faculty of the Judy Genshaft Honors College at the University of South Florida. Travis Horn is the president of Bullhorn Communications and a Republican. Michelle Rayner is the state representative for District 62 in Pinellas and Hillsborough counties and a Democrat. And Kimberly Leonard is the Florida playbook author and reporter for Politico. Nice to have you all here. Good to be here. Well, in his first debate with other Republican presidential contenders, Governor Ron DeSantis struggled for airtime. DeSantis backers were hoping he would shine and connect with viewers, with leading candidate Donald Trump a no-show at the first televised debate of the 2024 presidential race. Instead, DeSantis ranked fourth when it came to speaking time. According to the New York Times, DeSantis was outpaced by Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie. When he did speak, DeSantis was sometimes interrupted by other candidates as the night turned into a near free-for-all. At one point, the Fox News moderators asked candidates to raise their hands if they believed that human behavior is causing climate change. DeSantis refused. So we want to start on this with a show of hands. Do you believe in human behavior is causing climate change. Raise your hand if you do. Look, look, we're not school children. Let's have the debate. I mean, I'm happy to take it to start. <laughs> Alexander, so do you want to raise your hand or not? I don't think that's the way to do. So let me just say to Alexander this. First of all, one of the reasons our country's decline is because of the way the corporate media treats Republicans versus Democrats. DeSantis later said he did not raise his hand to agree that human behavior caused climate change. In a section about abortion, DeSantis claimed Democrats wanted to allow abortions during any point in pregnancy. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. What the Democrats are trying to do on this issue is wrong to allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. But PolitiFact said that this claim is untrue. According to PolitiFact, this claim is false and misleads about how rarely abortions are performed later in pregnancy. The vast majority of abortions in the U.S., about 91 percent, occur in the first trimester. About 1 percent take place after 21 weeks, and far less than 1 percent occur in the third trimester and typically involve emergencies such as fatal fetal anomalies or life-threatening medical emergencies affecting the mother. So, Dan, I want to ask you about how DeSantis did. The Washington Post and Ipsos and 538 did a poll of Republican voters, and they rated DeSantis and Ramaswamy in the top two after watching the debate. So he did well with Republican voters. But still, I think it's inevitable that he's become a dead man campaigning. 
he was he was wrong about virtually everything he uttered on the stage uh, the other night. Uh, he is a terrible person, a terrible governor. He has the personality of a sack of lug nuts, and I'm not surprised to see uh, that he's that he's gained virtually no traction whatsoever in this race at the expense of Mr. Ramaswamy, who only got where he is because he was had the biggest mouth. Well, Travis, you've got to respond to that. I what mean, would you say? Let me count the ways. I mean, he's, he showed discipline. He's the governor of one of the largest <laughs> states in the nation. I mean, he, he got his message out. He stayed on message. He didn't, he didn't talk. He talked about substance, not woke. You know, he was, it wasn't just a woke campaign talking point. It was, it was let's talk about some substance. I, I agree with him. I would counsel as a public relations pro. I would tell all my clients, if you're asked to raise your hand like that in a situation like that, no, don't do that. He had, to look, play that game. See, he had to look around to see if, he was, uh, if the other guys were raising their hands, too. Are you too. saying the guy's not a leader? The guy's a leader. He's leading, he's leading one of the largest states <laughs> he, in the nation. He's leading us into oblivion. As is what someone he's who serves in the legislature, I can promise you that he's not a leader. I, to your point, I do agree. First off, he sounded super angry. He sounded very angry, very upset. Also, he wasn't telling the truth. He wasn't telling the truth about abortion. He didn't tell the truth about how he helped and led the state out of uh, the storms. When Broward County was underwater, he was on the campaign trail. He he didn't even go to Broward County. So um, once again, I think that, you know, America is starting to see what we know here to be true in Florida, his lack of leadership, his failed leadership, and that's why you see his campaign failing. Kimberly, what's your takeaway from the debate on Wednesday night? Well, here's the thing. It was projected by the campaign to be something where he would show up and then everyone would kind of go after him. They warned that would happen. But then we get to the debate night and no one is going after Ron DeSantis. And he's supposedly the front runner of everyone on stage. And so I think that led to a lot of, you know, confusion amongst sort of, you know, political operatives and so forth who said, wait a minute, don't they view him as a threat? Or are they trying not to burn any bridges? What exactly is going on here? And so on the one hand, you know, spend one way positively for the campaign. It could be, well, you know, they just don't want to burn bridges. Maybe they want to be in a future administration. Maybe they see him as, you know, going up against Trump. But the question is, did he do enough to go up against Trump, you know, or did he just stay where he already was? He's many, many points behind, 30, 40 points behind in some polls. And so that's sort of an open question. Now, one area that he did do well is he raised a ton of money after the campaign. Apparently, he raised a million dollars within 24 hours after, or within 24 hours after the debate. So uh, he, he did win the numbers game in terms of polling and, and the, the uh, fundraising. But what if Donald Trump is on stage? All, all right. So, Travis, let me ask you this. The candidates were asked by the moderators to raise their hands if they would support Donald Trump as the GOP nominee, nominee if he's convicted on criminal charges. DeSantis said he would support Trump. Again, I'm not a fan of raising hands, but if that's what he's, I, mean, I think that we're all going to support whoever the nominee is against Joe Biden. Uh, Joe oh, Biden not is exactly a profiling courage Joe, here. Joe, Joe Biden is running this economy into the ground. Really? Him and the Democrats so are running this support, economy. You would okay. support, I mean, could you do any worse you on the economy a, with you, inflation? You would support a convicted felon. <laughs> so, is that the best we can I do? I would vote for Donald Trump so, with a felony before so, I would vote So let me ask for, you this question. Joe Biden. How do Absolutely. Republicans say that you are the party of law and order Party. That's what y'all tell me. Party of the police, uh, I, I mean, party of law and order, and you would vote for a convicted felon? This is banana republic stuff. You, you've got, no, it's, you've yeah, got it's these rogue, it's not, rogue state it's, attorneys in, it's, in jurisdictions that are heavily Democrat going after state. an ex-president. We've never seen anything like this. I tell you what, you're going to reap what you sow when Joe Biden's no longer the president. 
So, Kimberly, on that point, there were 62 or 63 court cases where Republicans went into courts around the country to try to prove that there was something wrong with this election. And in every one of those court cases, they lost. And isn't that the way you challenge an election? You go into court, you say something's hinky about the election, you bring your evidence to a judge, and if the judge dismisses the case, under our system, that's the way it works. Sure. Well, typically that's the way it works. And that's also, you know, in the interviews that I've listened to with the Trump campaign for 24, it does sound like they're going to be challenging a lot of election laws um, around the U.S. in order to, um, you know, have, maybe have things go differently this time. I don't know. Um, but this is different. Trump is running again. There's also the court of public opinion at this point, you know, and he's fundraising and using that money to use in his court battle. So, you know, the thing is that we're a lot of the candidates are saying to us, you know, why do you keep asking us about Trump? Well, because he's the front runner, because he's under four indictments, and, you know, because he, because he's running again. It's not as though he's a non-factor. So, um, you know, I just think it's going to keep coming up in this race. He's fundraising off his mugshot. I mean, hardly a Reagan-esque uh, <laughs> statement of purpose. All right. Well, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Well, a series of public meetings are being held around Florida to get comment about a proposal to shrink the number of judicial districts in the state. The proposal comes from House Speaker Paul Renner, who says shrinking the number of circuits down from the current 20 could save money and make the judicial system more efficient. He's appointed a committee to make a final recommendation this December. Some opponents say the move is designed to increase the number of Republican prosecutors in the state and decrease the number of Democrats. Other critics of the idea say longer travel times will be required to reach courtrooms and there are disadvantages for judges from smaller counties if they have to run for election against judges from larger counties. Michelle, why do you think this is being proposed at this time? Well, I think that it is purely political. Um, I think that we have seen um, that the governor has uh, removed duly elected state attorneys. Um, and I think that it is purely political in nature. And as someone who has practiced in almost every circuit in the state as an attorney, um, one, I think it's dangerous because the access to the courts shrinks, um, the ability for folks to be able to have due process and have their day court takes longer every jurisdiction is different you know the 20th uh, circuit court district is different than the sixth here the sixth and the 13th they're across they're across the bay from each other completely different circuits and every uh, they're what we call local rules that are in in court and so then you have to adhere to that and then also just think about it like common sense wise does it geographically make sense to start uh, thinking about you know connecting I think about uh, Miami I think is the 18th the district or 19th and the 20th is Key West so if you do door-to-door -door from Miami to Key West that's a four-hour drive mm -hmm. and so for me one what you're seeing is that there are the stakeholders the people that are the clerks the state attorneys the public defenders the private attorneys no one's asking for this. No one said that this needs to be so a cost saving. behind it? I mean, Speaker Renner's behind it, but who's behind Renner? I, I the, like the governor. Renner. I'm sure there, I figured there was going to be an efficiency angle to it. I haven't looked at, I admittedly have but not looked at the proposal. You say it'll proposal. save money. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've always adjusted the circuits from time to time based on, typically based on more uh, of a geographical area, like we have the 13th is just geographically compact here for Hillsborough County. 
Um, I'll, it'll be interesting to see what the committee com comes back yeah. with. I don't know but how Michelle much you could so say. It's going to hurt access to the courts. So and, if and you I'll live take, in Key I'll West, honestly, you have to go to, uh, to drive up to Miami-Dade to get a, uh, a hearing. Yeah, and certainly I'm, I'm not a Republican who wants to limit access to the courts. I think that we we um, we did some tort reform that you know I hadn't really heard a clarion call for recently. Um, so I don't always agree with uh, you know leadership, but I'll take a look at what they're they're saying and and see if I, there's any common ground. Dan, what do you think about reducing the number of judicial I districts? I think it's a uh, preemptive effort to gerrymander. Uh, uh, these, these districts, so it'll save uh, Governor DeSantis the time from having to fire uh, a lot of I, Democratic state attorneys. I will say I hope that the folks who are opposed to doing this are opposed to packing the Supreme Court of the United States of America. That's not going to happen. Okay. It's talked about. Well, it's we're not going to happen. We're getting word of more conventions not. in Florida being canceled because of the ongoing controversies over culture issues. Mm -hmm. In Broward County, tourism officials say financial losses are continuing to mount as conventions, once scheduled for Fort Lauderdale, have opted to go outside the state. The Broward tally now stands at 14 canceled conventions, with four of those conventions backing out this month alone. Orange County and Miami have also seen at least six conventions called off. The group scrapping their convention plans cite Florida's culture wars on issues that critics say attack blacks, gays, and transgender youth, as well as policies targeting state universities and migrants. A spokesperson for the governor, though, says the cancellations are a media-driven stunt and points to the record number of tourists who came to Florida in the first quarter of this year as evidence that the culture war controversies are not having a negative effect. Travis, are the culture wars <laughs> causing people to I don't, cancel I don't know. Again, conventions? Again, numbers were up, tourism numbers were up. Uh, right now you said they're down. Uh, they're down probably likely again due to the economy. The economy's in the tank, inflation's through the roof, gas prices are up. I mean, so I can understand yeah, why. I don't in look, the second, bring, on the, bring on the red state tours then. <laughs> bring on the red state in tours. The We're glad in the to second have them. quarter of this year, uh, tourism was down in Florida, but it was even down nationwide by an even greater percentage. Right. So, so I, I don't know if there's a correlation. I do believe it's more of a stunt. I don't think the tourism is going to be hit too hard so in Florida by I this don't stunt. think that it's a stunt. I think, uh, you know, there is a. Uh, African-American fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha that canceled and you know these are educated men that are uh, that are lawyers doctors uh, one of the preeminent fraternities in in our nation and they canceled their convention in Orlando and I don't think it's because of us and I think it's because people have real concerns about what is happening in Florida and the trajectory of Florida people want to be able to come do their business in Florida without the worries of Nazis being standing outside of standing outside of the convention center and being in that being sanctioned or not condemned by the governor people want to know that accurate history is being taught in Florida people want to know that however they look like or whoever they marry that it's going to be okay and people have the right not to do business in states that don't support um, those I believe that shared humanity values. Kimberly, uh, corporations uh, do have uh, have taken a lot of initiatives towards greater diversity. Nonprofits certainly are looking into greater diversity. Florida, though, is is looking at things like DEI and saying, no, we're going in the other direction. Do you think that our position against DEI is scaring conventions away from Florida. 
Well, I think there's multiple things that are happening that end up, and I do think this is a factor just because of the way that um, I would say these days people have you know, expectations that their workplaces and the organizations they belong to are going to also adhere to the values that they adhere to. And I think there's bigger pressure that that happens more so than there has been in the past you know i mean we saw that with disney when they at first didn't speak out against you know the parental rights and education act or the don't say gay bill um and so there's there's that piece but there's also the fact that you know if you look at how the economy is going people are more nervous about traveling as much they're tightening their belts a little more um there's a lot of trepidation about you know a recession early next year and i think too that it's it, when it's measured according to last year it's probably you know not a great apples to apples comparison because that was a lot of post-covid travel and there was all this pent-up demand you know floodgates that were open and so it was kind of leveling off a little bit more but yes i think absolutely that that all of these factors are, are playing in to, to get some of these these um, reductions. Okay, so Dan, what do you think about that? The Republican argument is that there's a downturn in the economy, and that's why these conventions are being canceled. Oh, I, I, that may have, that may be a part of it, but I also think the governor's uh, anti what you got policies uh, are pretty much uh, one of the primary drivers of this. When you go somewhere, when you when you go on vacation, you want to feel welcomed, and you want to feel uh, comfortable. And you want to feel that uh, that uh, you know you'll be accepted, and these policies that we have put in place do not send that message. One quick point, if I may, I would also be curious to know, and I don't know if maybe you know about this, corporate relocations. I'd be curious to know if this has also infected uh, uh, large corporations who are thinking of relocating to Florida, who have sizable African American employees or gay employees or you know whatever that are re rethinking those plans because of the governor's anti-human Florida's approach. a great state to open a business. It's a great state to locate. We have great weather. We have great tax policies. We have a, a legislature that's focused on, on, on keeping taxes low and, and staying within a, a set budget. And I would think that CEOs uh, across the nation would love to set up shop here in okay. Florida. I think okay. we'll, continue, we'll continue to see that. We're not going right. to see that change. Well, the Tampa Bay Times looked into book challenges across all of Florida's 67 counties, and what it found was that two people are behind most of the complaints to remove books from school libraries. Of the roughly 1,100 complaints recorded in Florida since July of last year, more than 700 came from just two counties, Escambia in the western panhandle and Clay near Jacksonville. And of those, about 600 of the complaints came from two people, a Clay County dad and a Pensacola high school teacher. The Times says the data illustrate how a tiny minority of activists across the state can overwhelm school districts while shaping the national conversation over what books belong on school library shelves. And Kimberly, we're getting reports that it's costing school districts tens of thousands of dollars to review these books once they get these complaints. Right, and all the time that goes into doing this. Um, you know, first of all, I want to say the Tampa Bay Times, it seems like not a week goes by where I don't envy some reporting that they do. Um, this is a really great data piece, and I just, I just really want to recognize that. Um, look, the, the laws that have passed in Florida have caused a lot of confusion, and there hasn't really been a nuanced discussion about this topic. Um, on the one hand, there are families, you know, that say that they want to have certain conversations, you know, within their families. They don't want to have them in schools, but then you also have families in which 
you know, you want to feel welcome when you go to school. You want to make sure that if your child is gay or trans, that they can feel that they can be themselves. Um, or if they come from families um, that are LGBTQ, that they can feel welcome in those environments. And so there's a lot of tension there at play. And there isn't really a lot of um, conversations that are happening. If you go to a school board meetings, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of screaming and sign holding and all of that. And, and instead of really talking about, you know, how do we have a conversation about materials at different developmental stages and all these other things. Um, and so it's just going to, you know, keep becoming a headline, even though, I mean, it's sort of, it also seems like just a couple of people are, are um, the ones that are, uh, you know, making these um, that are that are asking for these books to be removed. So, so this one's a distraction because it's just a few people. But the thirteen, the couple of people who who didn't have a convention here, is is more of a, a movement. I don't get, I don't believe it. And I'll tell you what, we've talked about this time and again on the show. The the issues that some of these books, it is horrible. Some of the stuff that's written in there. So, and if I'm, I, you know what, if I go to the school and I look, if I'm a parent and I find out that my child, I, I would grant you that there's probably a number of parents who don't know some of these books are on the shelf. And if they do know and they're made aware that they're on the shelves, they're not going to want them on the shelves. We read some excerpts that would knock your socks off. But here's off. the deal. When we were on the House floor actually debating this bill, the very thing that we're talking about, a minority of people, people who are even outside of the state that would be able to challenge this, this is literally the example that we gave. So here's the thing. I understand we want parents to be able to have input in schools. However, the books that are being challenged, Juna B. Jones, like, what are we talking about? Rosa Parks? What are we talking Literally books that are being challenged that make no sense because there is a wokeism or whatever it's being called, this fear of anything that's different. It, it's wild. And you have two people, one from Escambia County, one from Clay County, literally challenging books throughout the state. I understand if there are books that are not age appropriate, get them out of the get them out of the elementary school. But even books that are age appropriate, you're still challenging them. Why? Why? You don't want kids to know that there that different families exist. That's that's the reality of the world we live in. So Dan, do we have like a, a couple of out of control church ladies? Yes. Uh, or, or or are we protecting yeah. our kids uh, from oh, harmful please. material? I'm a, I'm, as you know, I'm a sort of a First Amendment person. Um, what a stupid state we live in sometimes. <laughs> the idea that if a child is exposed to a certain book and maybe there's a naughty word in the book, that somehow they're going to be scandalized. These kids are already being exposed to all kinds of subject matter on their iPhones, on their iPads. They are more worldly than we give them credit Correct. for. And if you think that some kid reading a book about a, a, a gay family is suddenly going to close the book and say, I want to be gay. That's not going to happen. The stuff that we're it will, talking it about will is not It will broaden the horizon. It's not a Mark Twain and, type and the good thing, And the good thing is yeah. they're reading books. We yeah. should celebrate but, but that. But, Travis, one quick question. In, yeah. in some districts, including Hillsborough County, Shakespeare, Shakespeare is being that's removed. You know, if, if, there, if, anyone's, uh, if anyone's trying to remove Shakespeare, I'm, I'm on your team, nonsense, Dan. Though? Count me on your first amendment team. How is it nonsense? Because the same people that support y'all. sex on your, on your body or something, that's, you know, no, that's not. How that's is that nonsense? Not. Because yeah. the argument is that we don't get to make the decision what is nonsense or what is not. If you want that book banned, according to the law we just passed, I, I voted against it. 
you get to ban the book regardless. And then the school district has to review it within a certain amount of time. And if they don't review it in a certain amount of time, the school district can be sued. So all of the money is being like then so. Let's, yeah, let's get together and work on the procedures then. Let's get together and make sure parents can be involved and work on the procedures. I'm sure we could find a way to find some common ground and work on and a reasonable I, I don't think there are too to many 12-year-olds uh, who want to read Tropic of Cancer. Yeah, okay. I just, I, <laughs> call me crazy, call, or Myra Breckenridge. Call me uh, crazy, but I right. just don't think that's... Be, before we go, what other news stories should we be paying attention to? Dan, your other big story of the week. I, I think we've had a lot of big national stories, but I think the fact that uh, Mayor Castor's uh, property tax increase appears to be on the ropes a little bit uh, is probably a good thing. And I, I'm, I, I'm inter I, I find it interesting that she introduced it in her second term. If she had done it in her first term, she wouldn't have had a second term. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Travis, your other big story. My big story of the week is, is that DeSantis is still standing. I predict <laughs> that the three people who got more airtime than him will be out within a couple of months. And he'll stay in. Yeah, he'll be in. All He's right. not a quick kind of guy. Michelle, your other big story. Um, I just think the uh, arrest or the, the turning in, the surrendering of uh, the folks in in Georgia, Fannie uh, Willis saying, listen, your clients are no different than any other criminal defendants. They better be here by noon. Um, if they're not, I'm filing warrants. And then we saw a barrage of mugshots. And they all ranging from smiles to almost folks looking like they were crying. They all lined up. All right. And Kimberly, your other big story. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Stormwatch personally. Um, I'm not on the Gulf Coast, but that's where it's headed. And I'm just, you know, obviously so worried about the whole state. Um, and uh, there, there is, for, for those watching, there is a, a tax holiday coming this Saturday for hurricane preparedness materials. Um, so obviously going to see how everything's going to go down. You know, at the same time, we have this property insurance crisis that's happening. So if the storm does hit, getting having people get back on their feet is going to be a lot harder and take a lot longer um, and we also have a governor who's on the campaign trail and so how will that affect um, you know his ability to you know come back and uh, help with hurricane relief and hurricane preparedness and so forth um, is something that I'll be watching over the next week and we're right in the middle of the worst part of the storm season hey thanks for a great show everybody thanks thank you and finally, singer-songwriter Oliver Anthony's viral music video, Rich Men North of Richmond, has become a major hit. The song was even the topic of the first question asked on Wednesday night's GOP debate. Some in the media made a big deal about a songwriter who champions the working class. But Anthony is far from the first. From Woody Guthrie to Johnny Cash to Merle Haggard to Steve Earle, all have written songs about a system stacked against ordinary people. Florida's had many such songwriters, and one of them is Grant Peoples from Tallahassee, who's been writing songs about hard living for years. Here's a recent song where Peoples warns against ignoring the Constitution and taking over the government by force. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Well, let us all remember the day and 21. The 6th of January when the deadly deed was done Oh, they charged right up the hallowed steps Busted down the doors They were shoving past and breaking glass And spitting on the floors It was an insurrection So patriots must stand And heed the call for justice And let your see be damned Cause freedom's just another word For all we have to lose Let the sons of bitches rot in jail For what they tried to do 
for QAnon, Proud Boys and Boogaloos. Just fascist thugs and racists, a band of angry fools. They were chanting words of treason, waving flags that bore the name of the lion lame duck loser, the one who stoked the flame. It was an insurrection, so patriots must stand and heed the call for justice and let leave your sea be damned. Freedom's just another word for all we have to lose. Let the sons of bitches rot in jail for what they tried to do.